Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your trusted resource for the latest strategies, tactics, and tips on running a high-performance sales development program. Sales development has grown to become a critical part of the success of high-growth companies, and we dive in each week on how to specifically make your program successful and accelerate your career advancement. Subscribe at iTunes, YouTube, and jump on the newsletter over at 10pound.com to make sure you never miss an episode. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. Really excited to introduce my next guest. This is Lisa Schneer. She is the most recently director of sales development over at Influitive. Right now, Port Tac Consulting, working with startups up in the Halifax, Canada area. If you don't know where that is on the map, look it up. It's beautiful. And Lisa, how are you doing today? <laughs> doing great, David. Really excited to be here. I'm excited too. I cannot wait to go up there and visit you. It looks amazing. You have to come. You have to come in September because we actually, while we're you know, not as far north as some parts of Canada. We are definitely far enough that it doesn't get really nice until end of August, September. And that's the water is beautiful and everything's great around that time of year. Okay. I'm heading up there. I'm putting that on my list. It looks beautiful. It looks amazing. And I'm excited to, you know, talk with you. You know, sales development is is changing right now. We're going through this major crisis and, you know, all these different things are happening you know, tell us about how you got into sales development, what you were doing over at Fluidive, Influitive, and then the work you're doing now with Portac. Yeah. So I actually got my start in sales development back in 2011 when a company called Radian 6 was hiring for SDRs and they hired me two weeks before the company was acquired by Salesforce.com. So that was my initiation into like the tech world and into sales. And so it was a crazy time. It was such a fun time because the company was doing so well. And it was just like this amazing experience and amazing initiation into sales because it was around that time, Radiant 6 being a social media monitoring platform, it was right around that time when companies just realized why they should care about social media and why they needed to listen to what their customers were saying there. So it was like the perfect storm. You know, it was one of those stories where we hit that hockey stick growth everybody longs to hit. And it was just, you know, a like a frat party every day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that it was re- awesome. really fun. And I actually, I worked my way up across a number of startups after that here, locally owned, locally founded startups in Atlantic Canada, And I didn't do the traditional jump into an account executive role. I actually worked my way into a team lead role and really found my passion for managing and coaching and mentoring people. And so that's where I just kept going with my career. So most recently worked for Influitive. I actually had two hats at Influitive. They had identified Halifax as the desired location for a second headquarters. And they needed somebody to come in and help them who was local, who knew people here and knew knew the area to help them get that office up and running. So I was actually director of sales development, leading a team of sales reps or sales development reps that were completely based in Toronto while also trying to help hire and grow the office here in Halifax. So I had a head of operations title as well. So it, it was a good good learning curve. And I've always been a fan of, of wearing multiple hats because I think it helps you really understand how the business works from all angles. And when you're in a small company, you get like to be close to all those different departments and understanding what it takes to really build a business. Excellent. And so I just want to go back. The Radiant 6 
right, was was bought out by Salesforce right before you started there and or right after you started, right? And and so they were doing social media monitoring. And now are they still around and what what is that? What is social media monitoring? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually called, it's still called, now it's branded Salesforce Radiant 6. It's part of the marketing cloud offering from Salesforce. And yeah, definitely still one of one of the leaders in the market, social media monitoring, being able to collect the information that people are saying about your brand across all of the internet. So it started out with just social media, like, you know, your typical Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatnot. But back then it expanded into crawling across all websites. So you could see the comments your customers were making about your brand all across the internet and respond accordingly. Okay. And, and so now it's part of the marketing cloud. And are there, you know, is there value in that? I'm just curious, like, you know, I could assume that you're going to see what people are saying and how do you aggregate all this information and how do you pick out, you know, information that's, that's relevant? You know, what was the value prop of social media monitoring? Yeah, well, it was just kind of like your customers expect you to be where they are. So particular one big example, I remember being around that time that Domino's had a huge ER problem with like their employees being caught on tape, put it like spitting on pizzas or something. I can't, I can't oh, yeah. remember exactly what Those happened. Those pop up every once in a while. Those <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was disgusting, but it was also like the worst PR problem they had had to date. And that video went viral. And they had no way to track who was sharing it, when it was being shared, how widely spread it was it was being shared, what the comments were. Like they just couldn't really easily wrap their arms around the breadth of that PR problem. So when it came to, you know, as much as I really hate the idea of fear selling, it was easy <laughs> because it was just like, okay, how are you tracking all of these things that could happen to your brand online? And how are you going to control that? So yeah, it was one of those things where it was just, like I said, your customers expect you to be where they are and they expect you to be listening. Another big use case was like airlines, people tweeting, I'm sitting on the tarmac for 30 minutes. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. How do airlines respond to that and provide good customer service to those people and maybe offer them something or, or even just an apology in that moment can go so far for protecting your brand? Yeah, it seems like they're pretty on top of it, especially the airlines, because people are constantly <laughs> complaining while they're sitting there on the tarmac and the airlines right back, you know, and they, they do. try to address yeah. it. And just, you know, if you're an SDR out there or BDR and you're trying to get information from social media, do you need something like Radiant 6 or are there other ways that you can gather some information to that you could potentially use in your prospecting? Yeah, actually, I mean, it would be amazing, I think, if, if the company was robust enough to, you know, offer access to a social media monitoring platform. I mean, they might have one on the marketing side anyway, and it would, if they do, it's a really good resource for prospecting as well, for collecting information on your prospects and understanding what's going on in the industry. But typically, like when I, I'm working now with a lot of really small companies, so with Cortac Consulting, I'm actually helping companies figure out their kind of go-to-market strategy from the ground up, like really really early stage. So they don't have the kind of funds that would you know that Radiant 6 would require. So oftentimes what I coach people to do is work with free resources that you have available to you like setting up Google Alerts or building a Twitter list, like a Twitter list of all of your prospects, the companies and specifically the leadership that you would be looking to speak with, like the CMOs of the companies that you're looking to target set that up in a Twitter list and, and read it every day and understand what their voice sounds like and what their issues are and what they're talking about. 
So in that same kind of thread, it's a, that's a free way to do that. Okay. And you could do that across LinkedIn, you know, Instagram, yeah. Facebook, like wherever they are, you can make lists and just check it every day. Now with Influitive, now this is a way to work with your current customers, right? To get them interested and excited about the, the product and make sure that they don't churn. Is that what it is that what it did? Influitive's product is a customer engagement platform. Yeah. So like from our sales development perspective, what we were what we were offering from a value prop standpoint was around the fact that your customers are looking for a place to engage with each other. And you want to be able to monitor that and facilitate that as a company, right? So rather than a typical open source community where people could go in, say, in a Reddit style thread and just comment, Influitive's experience is more of a white glove VIP community where your best advocates can actually communicate with each other and provide information that can help drive your business forward. So for example, if you wanted product reviews or a reference that you could add to a sales call, they can put their hands up in the Influitive instance and say, I'm willing to do that and then be rewarded. There was this whole gamification piece to the product as well that allowed you to award points for certain actions being taken by your customers that would actually help your business move forward. So, so it was a really interesting conversation to have. It's obviously something that not every company feels they really need, but I think during these times, especially with everybody being remote, we can't do customer on-sites, we can't do on-site onboarding. A platform like Influid is really helpful for that. Yes, and and you know, from an SDR perspective, they can learn a lot about their customers and, and, you know, understand the installed customer base better with something like that. Right. Because it's like, it seems like there's a, there's a huge opportunity for SDRs to learn from the current customers that they have and the, and the customer success people and the use cases and things like that to really help them educate on the problems that they're solving. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's like so much more authenticity coming directly from a customer, right? Like if you're telling a story as an SDR that comes from your customer's lips, it's, you know, that third party validation that I'm not just a salesperson saying, come, you know, sell, buy my products so that I can hit target. Yeah, exactly. Speaking the language of the prospects and stuff like that. Exactly. And, and that perspective is exactly what they relate to best. So it is, it's a very powerful sales development tool. Okay. So tell me this. So now you're working with, a, say you've got a startup, right? And they, they have a good product and they're ready to go to market, but they're pretty, you know, they don't have a lot of experience in building a sales development program. So they hire a manager or they promote a a sales rep or an SDR to be the manager. Where would you start with something like that for that? Like someone who's just coming in and trying to figure out where do I start and how do I start going outbound? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I've been working on kind of packaging up as like a crawl, walk, run type thing, because there's definitely, like you said, there's a lot of companies at at slightly different stages. And if you're thinking really, really early stage, I would start with conversations around like, who are your customers? Why? And why should they care? And how, what is your value proposition? And understanding that how to sort of 
prioritize this great big world that could, you know, be your customer target market, how to prioritize that to where you want to start. And that kind of exercise is like your who, what, why, how exercise. It's very, very early stage. Now, if you're coming in with, they've already got that kind of figured out, then I think it's just like the operationalizing what they need to do next. It seems like a lot of people are stuttering on this one point of, actually just starting, you know, (laughs) it's one of those things where, you know, once you have these spreadsheets kind of in front of you, or if you're fortunate enough to be able to have a tech stack that is scalable, what do you do next? And it's like, well, you've got to send that first email, you've got to make that first call. And depending on the stage of the company, maybe they have done some of that, but most of it has been for a feedback ask right? It's a little bit of an easier, it's a way easier ask. Who are we kidding? To just be like, hey, can you give me some feedback on my product because I'm still iterating on it and I want to make it better. That's a a much easier conversation to have when you're getting started than to say, I want you to actually pay me for something that's brand new that I just built out of my head. (laughs) So it's one of those things where I find that the struggle point right there has been something that's holding people back from actually getting their first few paying customers is like, okay, you've got to be confident enough in your product to ask for money for it. <laughs> and, you've, and you've got to be confident enough to, in the value of your product, to be you know, asking for that from your current or potential customers. So when it comes to, though, that early, early stage manager... I find that most of the time when you're going, especially if it's somebody who's going from an individual contributor position to a manager or team lead position, I think the biggest value point that you need to focus on is your one-on-ones with your team. Building an authentic sort of trust circle with your team is really important because that's going to be that next step into, you know, how you're going to help them be more successful at what they're doing. And when you're a first time people manager, often people are very tentative with that relationship. They think they have to keep it extremely structured and professional and not so much asking for that circle of trust that like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas conversation during your one-on-ones, which can really help you get to the root of the problems that each one of your team members is facing. So I think that's the biggest step for those first time managers from a people manager standpoint. From an operational standpoint, it's definitely identifying, okay, you know, what do we need in order to scale all these processes going forward? And you have so many people, wonderful people on this podcast that actually talk through that entire tech stack and how that flow should work. But getting started when you've got limited resources, just start with something simple, even if it's just a spreadsheet. Okay, then build some templates, some scripts, help your team understand how that conversation should flow understand I'm, I'm actually currently building what you would call a cadence in sales loft, but in a spreadsheet <laughs> so that people can see day one, send this message, day two, make this call, use this script. And as, as ironic as I find it, because that's why that technology exists, it's also understanding that these companies aren't at a stage where they can pay for something like that yet. So helping, helping to kind of build that structure that then they can sort of plug into and run with. And that's what I've been doing with Portac is actually helping companies understand that I'm not going to come in and do all of your sales for you. What I'm going to do is give you everything you need to run it yourself. 
and then coach somebody and on what metrics to track going forward. Because we know more than anything, metrics to success are like the biggest part of sales, right? If you're just doing activity and not tracking anything, how are you ever going to know what's successful? So a lot of people struggle with like, what should those conversion rates be? What should that look like? And pointing them even just to like industry benchmarks, like the ones you could get from the bridge group. That is so helpful when they're, they're not salespeople. They don't know that that exists. They don't know where to find it. They don't know how to get started with it or how to adapt it to what they're doing and what stage they're at. So, you know, I tend to start really simple. It's like, Hey, pick 10 companies this week, pick two people at each of those companies. What do you want to say to them? Why should they care what you're selling? Get started there. And then maybe next week pick 20, you know, and, and then, quickly scale up from there. But it also depends how many people you've got and the resources you've got on hand, right? Like I'm working with one company that they've got one intern who only has like 30% of her time to dedicate to prospecting. And, you know, that's fine. But I'm stressing to them in particular, the importance of consistency for success you can't just prospect one week and then skip two weeks and then prospect another week. So helping with even Sounds basic like knowledge. Yeah, it does, right? It is. I blew it's up like, my run this morning. Yeah, I know. I know. I was going to go for a bike ride, but then it snowed. I just was drinking coffee <laughs> so, and reading uh, news reports for like three hours. It's terrible. But consistency is the key. And I, I, love, I love how you're saying start where you are. Like you've got yeah. an intern for two hours a day and you've got a spreadsheet and, you know, there's free resources on the, on the internet that you can use and put it together and then start to build a process that can then be scaled up. And I think, you know, people tend to get a deer in the headlights with all these different things that you can do. And I like what you're saying is let's just keep it simple. Focus on what we can control right now and be consistent right? Yeah, exactly. Even as basic as blocking your calendar, you know, especially that's been a hot topic with remote work and remote managing is how do I keep people productive? How do I, you know, like, what are some of the tips for understanding how to structure your day when you don't have the rails around it of a commute, you know, because I don't, geez, I don't know how many days I, well, sort of like you with your, your news articles and coffee, sometimes I'll wake up and the first thing I'll do is log into email and then next thing I know, I've worked for eight hours and it's not even three o'clock. Like, it's, you know, so kind what of making sure. That, yeah. yeah, exactly. And making sure that you, you have those, you know, that organizational structure in a way that even like you say, go for a run, go for a walk in between your working blocks that you have in your calendar so that you can stay productive. I think, you know, like it sounds really simple and we're talking, it's a top of, a topic that's top of mind right now in particular, but it's also something that people don't think to do. Like you, you preach it more than you practice it. <laughs> so, but it can be really powerful, especially in that situation where you've got only so many hours a day of somebody's time. Okay. Well, let's, let's really structure it to the point where there's no question. What am I working on today? And even just taking it back to put agenda items in your calendar meetings, people, Please. Yes. See. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So many meetings with no agenda and you just sit there and chat what and what is the action item? So that is something that I've been talking to these early stage companies about is like, okay, so you put a sales stand up in your calendar for nine to nine thirty every day. 
what are you doing during that time? And each day there should be another, you know, it could, fine, if it's just like a recap of the day before and challenges that might come up, that's great if you want to keep it really informal. But if you're, if it's an hour, especially, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of money. So let's make sure that we've got some very clear guidelines on what we're going to accomplish today. And then each day have that change a little bit. So I have a working session or training session every day that changes. So like today, it might be a messaging workshop. Tomorrow, it might be talking about best practices. The next day, it might be how do you, you know, set up your Twitter lists and your, your LinkedIn sales navigator for success. You know, there could be a different little thing that you're touching on every day just to make sure that you're course correcting as you go along. Because as people, this is a good, good tip for new managers too, is like as people get going in their process and get comfortable with their process, don't forget to iterate on the process, <laughs> you know? Mm, it gets stale, little- right? Very much so. And like, especially when you think about how much burnout there is in an SGR role, (laughs) if you're getting, you know, a million emails back that have all caps unsubscribe in the subject line, and you feel like you're just like, no one's out there and nobody's, nobody's interested in what you're saying, then you've got to be conscious of that, how that grind wears people down and getting a little bit more creative with the process and changing a couple of things can help relieve some of that too. Yeah. Mix it up. It's funny. My my buddy posted on LinkedIn, just said, what day is today? And my comment was sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just, yeah. I mean, and, you know, having that structure though is so helpful. I mean, and, you know, if you're a new manager and you're working remotely, your team's now remotely, you can't walk around in the office how do you keep that structure? How do you know what people are doing? I mean, you know, on a daily basis, if they're not right there in the office. That gets tough too, because again, going back to how some early stage companies don't have the software in place, but like what coming out of Influtive, you know, I never really worried about that because I could literally track everything everyone was doing through the softwares we were using. So down to, you can see in Salesforce when somebody logs in, logs out when their session started and ended, you know, like all of that information is available. It's kind of creepy though, isn't it? I mean, it's oh, super creepy. And <laughs> actually, you know, but what's the balance? Like what's the balance between, you know, being kind of a stalker almost and, and just genuinely trying to figure out what people are doing. Yeah. And for me, it was always over communication. Like, I don't care if you tell me the same thing six times a day, but, you know, on tools like Slack or even, you know, on a Zoom call, I would oftentimes be like, hey, I see you're in between meetings. Like, do you have five minutes to jump on a Zoom? And I would just send a Zoom link and it wouldn't be structured. It wouldn't necessarily be planned. And that way you can just have a spontaneous conversation, which is what we're missing when we're not standing in the office together, right? There's no ad hoc coaching. There's no ad hoc conversation, water cooler conversations. So trying to inject that into your days over the technology that we have is, I found extremely helpful because it, it kept up that genuine type of curiosity between you and your team. And then When it came to also, as soon as I would see that somebody got off a call or had, say, a block in their calendar for cold calls, that would be a perfect time to be like, hey, let's jump on a call and talk about how it went. Who did you talk to? How did that go? Because not, you know, being a manager that's not sitting next to their team in the sales pit, hearing on the other end, you know, right away what's going on in the tone and the, you know, whatever happened. I really, really, really miss that about working remotely. And that, that, you know, spontaneous situation where it provides that sort of sparks the idea for 
how to coach that individual in that moment when you might not get that in a one-on-one structured situation. Like if you have a weekly one-on-one, like most managers have, you know, like you're colleague isn't necessarily going to say, oh, well, I had this one call last Tuesday that went like this, you know? So I think that the over-communication piece is like the answer to keeping the relationship strong. And then when it comes to understanding what people are doing every day, I think you also need to understand how they're doing, like actually mentally and and health-wise. Because if you know that somebody's really struggling with their mental health or with their physical health or with a family member, then you know that you need to check in on that person a little bit more than you normally would. And you need to encourage that person to take the time that they need to, you know, be in a better state. So I think that that, again, ties into making sure you're communicating, but also not just about work. Make sure you're asking like, okay, how's, how's everybody? How's your family? How, you know, like what's going on in your house? How's your dog? You know, and making sure that that, that is also a priority. What do, you, what do you do if someone, it feels like they're, they're pulling away or they are having those problems and you need to get it out on the table because, you know, the job is so linear. I mean, you're either making it or you're not, you know, and, and, but you feel like the numbers are starting to go down and they're really struggling. What, what do you do in that case for remotely? Yeah. So depending on the, how extremely it's dropping, it can be a conversation. I'm definitely a manager who leans toward being completely transparent more than, you know, really stiff and professional, as you <laughs> might be able to tell. Um, and uh, so like when I start to see like small drops, it'll definitely be like, hey, you know, I see that yesterday was a little less on your plate. Anything going on I should know about. And it can start there and just kind of see where that takes you. But if it's, you know, if it seems like a legitimate answer, then it's like, okay, you know, if you had more scheduled calls that day, then maybe your activity, cold calling and and emailing activity is lower or whatever. If, If that's the case, then I don't really dig in more. But when, if I see something really drastic, my favorite question to ask is, so I'm looking at your numbers from the last couple of weeks. How do you think I think you're doing? And then it puts them in my shoes as a manager and kind of makes them realize, oh, yeah. That's like <laughs> that Jedi level. Good. That's a Jedi yeah. level. That's a Jedi level <laughs> question. Pro tip. Yeah. Pro tip. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I've actually yeah. like, you know, and I've used that in really tough conversations when it is actually coming down to like performance improvement plans and stuff like that. I've, I've said like, how do you think this looks to me? or to my boss, or whoever looks at your numbers, because in sales, everything's there, like the whole company can see how we're doing. It's extremely trackable. Like it's it's one of those jobs that you don't have to wonder what the KPIs are. And what do you say to people if they're like, well, it's because I'm not getting enough leads, I don't have enough support, our product is not good enough, we don't have enough word of mouth, like, there's a million different reasons why they may be having those issues. You know, what, what do you say to that? Well, then I actually for the, especially for the, like, I don't have enough leads kind of, kind of comments. That's when I actually started an, a coaching exercise that I called territory for a day. And I work their territory for a day with them side by side. Whoa. And it was so helpful for them to see exactly how I approach a territory that not only did it help solidify our bond as like 
colleagues because it's not just manager lording over them who's never done what they do. <laughs> it's I'm getting down in the mud with you right now. But also it just, there were little things that I realized, David, you probably would do this too. Like little things that I do when I'm prospecting that I've never, I, I never realized I don't coach on, you know? And it's silly little things, like even just the way I would navigate through LinkedIn or something like, and they would be like, oh, geez, how did you do that? That was so good. And that helped me realize those other little tips and tricks, I guess, that I just, I didn't translate very well. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a great tip because a lot of SDR managers will, as soon as they become promoted, it's like they never want to do the SDR job again. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you can't get them to do it, but it's such a great thing because you can show that you still can do it and that builds that credibility. And then, like you said, they might pick up a trick or two, you know, or a time-saving thing that you're doing that you didn't even realize you were doing right? Yeah, exactly. And that was it. I actually loved your conversation on, on your last podcast with Jason Bay, because he spoke about that a lot about how, you know, you should always be prospecting. You can never lose your edge. And I wrote a post about it on LinkedIn about how job hunting is actually prospecting. And so like, there's so many things that you can relate to prospecting. It's really just an organizational tactic that it's a structure. It's like, okay, I have to remember to do these five meetings and follow up with these deliverables and then get back in touch in two weeks or on this day with this person with this deliverable. You know, it's that kind of whole side to the prospecting process, which, you know, can be a grind, but that is the consistency that you need to have and the organization level that you need to have in order to be successful. And so you can apply that across so many different things. And, you know, understanding that, you know, from a SDR looking at their manager standpoint, it's like, okay, you know, you might not be next to me cold calling today, but there's definitely those structures in your day as well. It's just on a different level. But I do think it is so powerful to sit with your team and do a cold call blitz. Let them listen to how you handle things and let them, you know, I used to actually, I used to take some of the inbounds. So I had like the 1-800 number on the website dial through menu when for the sales line was actually forwarded to my cell phone when we all started working remotely. Or no, it was before that because we were still in the office. Yeah. So it was turn of the year. And I would take those inbound calls and they could listen to my recordings for once and not just have, you know, me coaching them on theirs. Nice. Okay. And, you know, maybe some of the hesitation is that the manager might make a mistake and then they all see it and then they judge <laughs> the manager. So how do you deal with, uh, with that aspect yeah. of it? Yeah. Well, I think it's just a whole other coaching moment. Like we're all human. And, and while I might teach you to do something one way, if I mess up and do it the way I told you not to, it, it just, it definitely strengthens the the relationship and the you know, that kind of candid conversation around like, okay, yeah, I did that wrong. Especially like when you think about like the tougher conversations, like how do I handle it? When I get on the phone with somebody, they were expecting a demo, but I don't have a demo ready because I was just going to run a qualification call because, you know, like there's oftentimes you'll coach on like, well, don't demo on the first date. And if you fall into that trap, <laughs> what, are they, what are they going to say? You just brought up a demo. Why did you do that? And then you can say, well, okay, you know, while it's not what we want to do all of the time, these are the reasons that I did it. You know, this person's used our product before or something like that, you know, could be anything. But yeah, I think it's just, it opens up the conversation to, hey, you know, I need you guys to keep me honest as much as I keep you honest. Yep. 100%. And just I'm making notes like it seems like the best 
SDRs out there, just from the aspects that you're talking about, they, they have that consistency. They're very organized. They're able to be creative and, and they somehow avoid the burnout of the job. Like they're balanced in their life somehow that they can avoid that burnout. And it's, it's, it's like just a few of those characteristics would make someone really good at the job, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that persistence, determination. One of the things I often ask people about is like, well, so first off, I've hired a lot of people who are, it's almost like their first real job. It's not necessarily they're fresh out of college, but they're, they're pretty fresh. (laughs) And so you don't necessarily have an exact like sales anecdote that you could relate to. But I do often ask, is there something in your life that you've had to overcome, a big challenge that you've had to overcome? And how did you stay motivated throughout that? And then I relate it back. And I say, the reason I asked you that is because this job is going to have a lot of ups and downs. You're going to be high off your wins one second, and then you're going to get rejected 60 times the next second. And then I turn it into a joke about rejection therapy. And I'm like, you don't, you'll never feel bad about the word no ever again, because it'll just be part of your daily life. But yeah, it's definitely one of those traits that I think going into hiring an SDR, I want to fully understand that they understand how much, you know, determination the role is going to require. And, you know, it's a tough one to be able to understand in advance of working with somebody, but I definitely take that approach of helping them to understand this is going to be something that's like a lot of data entry. It's a lot of, you know, yeah, just determination, I guess, and making sure that it's a mutual fit is going to be our job if you take this job. So. Well, and and like you said, I mean, it's the best learning experience because every other job you have is going to be really easy compared to this. Yeah, uh, exactly. So. Exactly. And then you're going to love the day that you finally get out of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I know some lifers. I mean, I know a guy who's, you know, they've been, they just like doing it. They know how to do it and they love the job. And those are the best because, you know, there's not as much training and stuff like that, but they're very rare. So if you have a lifer, keep them, give them a lot of money and keep them around. Oh yeah. And you, you mentioned rejection therapy, which is really funny because there's a guy, if you Google it, there's a Ted talk about this guy who it's hilarious. And he's like, you know, he wanted to improve his life and he just came across this philosophy of just going through no's like a hundred people say no to you every day and it builds up your confidence. So if you haven't seen that Ted talk, it just look, for yeah. rejection therapy. Okay. If you're I already thought... an SDR, then you get rejection therapy every day. So don't worry about it. But... <laughs> yeah. I think that was making the rounds on LinkedIn a while ago. And I, yeah, I, that guy it was does hilarious. He, yeah, he went, he, he went good. into a Dunkin' Donuts and asked for them to make a Olympics symbol of donuts for him, you know, like <laughs> special, specially. And <laughs> That's hilarious. And he fully expected them to just say no. That that was the point of, of the exercise. <laughs> but they end up making him this humongous donut of Olympics thing. So, oh my anyway. gosh. And, you know, I had Andrea Waltz who wrote a book called Go for No on the podcast, which is a great book and I highly recommend. And, you know, her whole thing is like, just go for no. Like, like, you know, if you go out and ask enough people and enough people say no, eventually someone's going to say yes. You know, just it's the odds that you have. But most people stop at no because it's like, 
the way that we're programmed as kids is if someone says no, you know, to touching a hot stove, then eventually you're either going to get burnt or, or learn mm-hmm. the lesson. So we're not wired for that. And it's interesting because we ask SDRs to go out and hear no all day, basically. So it's funny. I should read that book. I haven't yet. But I will. I'll add really it to my good. list right now. But yeah, we used to say every time when we were sitting around in the office, every time somebody got a no, we'd say one step closer to the next. Yes. Yeah, it is. And so it's interesting because it's like you have to put out a lot of volume talk to a lot of people, have a lot of people say no in order to get to the person that will will say yes. But then you don't want to spam people and you want to customize it. So it's hard to find a balance between personalizing your message and then talking to enough people every day, you know? Yeah, definitely. This is why I love marketing content because I love providing some value during that kind of cadence is like, you know, if you get to the point where you feel like you're just spamming people, maybe take a step back and say, hey, I saw this podcast you might want to listen to. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, check, you should check this out and, and just kind of maybe take a step away from the ask for at least one step in your, in your cadence. Got it. Okay. Well, Lisa, this has been so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge with us. If people are coming to Halifax or if they're just online, how do they get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to get me. I'm though I'm completely ridiculously reachable. <laughs> so yes. LinkedIn is probably the best way to get in touch with me. I love making new connections and meeting new people. It's part of why I'm addicted to sales. And yeah, if you're coming to Halifax, oh, get ready. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. The second we can take you on a tour, I absolutely will. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on and being on the Sales Development Podcast, Lisa. Thank you, David. So much fun. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.